Welcome to Pioneering Today with Melissa K. Norris, where I inspire your faith and pioneer roots. I show you how to grow your own food, home food preservation, and modern homesteading. Tune in every other Friday as I share proven strategies anyone can do to live the pioneer lifestyle. Make sure to head over to www.melissaknorris.com to subscribe to receive free Pioneering Today articles and updates. Welcome. On today's episode of Pioneering Today, we are going to be talking about spring foraging. So one of the great things about living in the um, country in the Pacific Northwest is come springtime, there's actually a lot of things that you can go out that grow wildly and that you can forage. Um, And what's kind of wonderful about that is you get to reap the benefits of foraging something that you haven't had to put um, all the work into um, in prepping the soil, prepping the ground, growing the plant, um, and all that kind of thing. So you kind of just get the wonderful benefit of going and just reaping the harvest. And one of the first things um, that come up in the springtime that we forage, and where I'm from in the Pacific Northwest, um, is kind of a lot of people like to forage this. Um, and if any of you haven't guessed it already, is morel mushrooms. So no matter where you live in the United States, morels pretty much grow anywhere um, and everywhere in the United States. And they generally come up in the spring. Um, And there's several different kinds of morels, actually. There's um, black morels, which where we live, I've never seen the black morel growing around here. Um, There's gray morels. And then there's kind of the the brownish color morels that tend to to grow the, the most frequent around this area where I live, but they grow all over the United States. Um, and they come up in the springtime. Um, they like it when it's the, the warm and, and wet. So usually we'll get, you know, a good dousing of rain and then it'll warm up and then they start popping up. Um, and their season is relatively short. Um, usually about three weeks is kind of the, the peak of the season around here. And the ones that come up first are usually the ones in the the woods. So around here, the signs to look for when the morels are first coming up is um, when the stinging nettles are just starting to pop up. That's usually a good sign. And for our neck of the woods, it's usually the end of March and the beginning of April when the morels start to come up. And you'll see people out (laughs) alongside the roadways. You'll see cars parked and stuff um, along wooded areas. And so that's kind of your first tip as people are out there looking. and morels that like to come up um, here, they like to come up around the cottonwoods, um, cottonwood stands where it's nice and moist um, and warm. They like to pop up. And then they also like burnout areas for some reason. So if there's been like a forest fire or an area that has been burned and then is starting to regrow, that's another really good place to look for morels. Um, and it, the one thing that you want to be sure of when you're out looking for morels um, and I have to say this is <laughs> beware of people's private property and no trespassing signs. Um, you'd really be surprised at how much people ignore that um, when they're out hunting. I'm not not quite sure why if they just don't see the signs or know the, the boundaries or whatever. So just be very respectful of people's land. Um, and if there's, you know, fences up or signs posted, then don't go there. So and one of the things if you've never hunted morels before is um you know, you'll want to get yourself a good um, field guide. So um, there is one, I have never seen them myself around here. And we've been hunting morels with my 
um, as a child, I grew up hunting morels with my, my dad. And then now with our own children and, and my husband, we hunt morels as well. And I have never seen the false morel. Um, but there is a false morel. And I will link to that in the show notes on today's episode I'll, that will link you to a picture that shows you what the false morel looks like. Um, because that one is, is not, um, safe to eat. So, you know, anytime you're out foraging, be sure that you know what you're foraging for, um, you know, dangers of lookalikes, take a field guide with you and that kind of thing. Um, because there are, you know, poisonous things out there that we're not supposed to ingest. So just my note of caution there, um, to make sure you do that. And I'll, I'll post pictures to morels that we've found in different things in the show notes. So, to find the show notes, you just go to um, melissaknorris.com, hit on the podcast button, and then every episode that we've ever done is listed there. And so you can bring that up and you'll see all the show notes with links and be able to listen to it there as well if you want to go back and catch some past episodes. Um, and this one will be the um, spring foraging uh, morels and stinging nettles episode. So you'll know that when you see it. Um, so when you're Going out um, for the morels, when you're going out picking, um, obviously you're going to want to wear, you know, comfortable shoes. You're going to be walking around and that kind of a thing. Um, but it's a really good idea to actually use um, a either like a cloth bag to put your morels in or um, a netted bag. And the reason for that is when you put the morels in the bag, then the spores that are on the morels can fall off as you're walking along and hunting for the rest of your morels. And then those spores is what helps next year's crop grow. So you want to make sure that you do that. And then when you're picking the morels, um, you want to leave the stem. So they kind of look <laughs> so like a honeycomb type um, appearance on the outside. And then they grow on a like a creamy colored, white to creamy colored stem. So you want to pick them right where the stem meets the honeycomb part of the mushroom and you want to leave the stem. And again, that's to leave the spores so that it will grow back there next year. Um, so then you're, you're repopulating and creating more mushrooms essentially is what you're doing. So you want to make sure that you do that. And then you don't want to, um, get your bag too full because you don't want to smash the ones that are on the bottom. So take a couple different bags along with you. And, you know, usually people who hunt morels, um, their places that they go to hunt, they don't share because <laughs> it can be find um, hard to find a good morel spot. So if you're lucky enough um, to know somebody that has a, a spot and is willing to share with you or take you, um, thank them a lot because that's kind of a, a rare thing. Um, and then if you have a spot, most people guard it quite carefully. So I'm not going to tell you my spots. <laughs> um, and then when you bring your morels um, back to your house to prepare, um, a couple of things is you should never can wild mushrooms. Um, they're not good candidates for canning. Um, and you always never, ever eat them raw. Um, they have a compound in them that cooks out um, when they're brought to high temperature. So then they're safe to eat, but don't eat them raw. Um, and we, we soak ours overnight in cold water salt bath. Um, and the reason for this is because you are foraging out in the wild and there's little bugs that get in them and sometimes little worms. Um, I'm sorry if that grosses you out, but they are so good that I don't care. So we soak them in cold water and salt to draw out any bugs or anything that might be in them. And we soak, just put them in that overnight in the fridge and let them soak and then we drain them. And then... Um, I slice them in half and rinse them off again. 
and then put them on an absorbent towel to start to dry off. And there's lots of different ways that you can cook morels. Um, our favorite is just to whip up an egg, dip them in egg, and then have a little bit of flour, or you could do cornmeal um, if you're doing gluten-free with a little bit of seasoning salt in it. So um, dip the morel in the egg, then dip it and dredge it through the flour mixture, and then fry it in butter and a cast iron skillet. And oh my goodness, my kids inhale the morel mushrooms. I mean, it's like almost fighting time <laughs> to get the first ones of the season because it, it's such a short season. Um, other ways is, and I will post recipes uh, links in the show notes, um, is you can do a morel quiche. Um, I have a fabulous recipe on my website for a morel quiche with asparagus. Um, so you can do that way. A lot of people will um, put them in soups, um, just saute them in butter without doing the battering method. There's just tons of ways that you can do it. So um, morels is one of the great spring forages that we really look forward to. It's kind of like an Easter egg hunt when you go out to hunt for them. Um, you know, you go out and, and you're looking and the kids, we all really get into it. Who can find the first one? You know, it's like a competition. And so I kind of scan the ground in a, like a grid-like pattern. Um, and once you spot one, usually they never grow by themselves. They always usually grow in pairs. So if you spot find one, then there's another one, at least one other one around there. And so you kind of look around for it. And usually after you spot one, it kind of trains your eye after you find the first one. And then you can see other ones um, a lot more easily. But the key is to go slow so that you don't, you know, step on them because they're camouflaged by the leaves and and things out there. Um, so morel hunting is a great, one of the first spring foraging things that we really look forward to at our house. Um, and then the second thing that I'm excited to talk to you today about our spring foraging is stinging nettles. Now, stinging nettles as a kid, I used to hate stinging nettles. You know, they were always up where we wanted to build the cool forts, you know, and no matter what, walking through, one always would manage to sneak past your socks and your pants and you'd get stung, you know, and then you'd welt up and and it would be stinging. And we always tried lots of different methods of like putting mud on it to help draw out the stinging and that kind of thing. But it it still just stung. Didn't seem like it did much good. So I always just thought they were this big old nuisance plant. Um, and they drove me crazy because they spread <laughs> under the ground. Uh, you know, they grow in the, your yards at the, the edge of the yard where the woods and stuff are. So, but the really funny thing is now singing animals are one of my brand new favorite things ever um, for a variable of reasons. Um, nettle leaf it helps with so many things. I had no idea what a powerhouse I had just growing for free in my backyard. Um, about six weeks ago now, I guess it is, um, I was listening to, um, it's called the Nourished Living Summit. Um, it's 65 different presenters that helps um, families learn how to live um, more safely and more naturally and more simply. And so I was asked to be um, a part of that. And I, so I was listening to one of the shows and, and doing some of the notes and stuff. Um, and the show that I listened to was talking about hormones and, you know, synthetic hormones and, and what they do to our body and, and how they're in our different food sources, um, you know, with all the um, ways that our food is um, done now, if you're not doing it yourself, buying organically, raising it yourself, that kind of a thing. And um, I have eliminated all prescriptions um, by eating the natural, traditional, whole foods lifestyle. Now, um, I used to have really bad acid reflux and was on prescription medications for that. Um, but I was still using birth control for, well, one of the obvious reasons there. But the other reason was um, I have ovarian cysts. And so birth control is a very common treatment to help with that. 
Um, and after listening to this episode, I realized that um, I did not want to be on synthetic hormones for the rest of my life. And I really didn't realize the implications that they had beyond um, just the obvious of um, preventative methods um, of what they did to the body. And so I decided to go off and um, I went off of them and then I had my symptoms um, were coming back quite rapidly. So I started researching some different natural ways that I could use to um, help with the symptoms for the cysts. And um, I came up on three herbs. Um, and the first of them, which we're going to talk about today, is nettle leaf. So nettle leaf is just awesome. And I've been using it in a tea form. Um, it helps with anemia. It's packed with vitamins. I mean, like tons of vitamins. I had no idea how much it had in it. It's like a super vitamin powerhouse. Um and then it also helps with inflammation. It helps with ovarian cysts. Um, it can also help with internal and external bleeding. It's a blood purifier. Um, it can help cure mucus congestion. And a lot of people use it for allergies. It helps with allergies. Um, it helps with water retention. And it can help with skin irritation. Um, I was just amazed at all the different things that that this thing could do that I just thought was this really irritating weed growing on my property. Um and it also, it can help nursing mothers. So if you know anybody who's nursing or having problems with their milk supply, it can help with that. Um, and it stimulates the digestive glands of the stomach, your intestines, your pancreas, your liver, and your gallbladder. So it's really just this awesome herb that we have growing. And it's, it's so funny because the more I learn about... Um, you know, the, the natural thing and the different herbal remedies and that kind of a thing is I just see that, you know, God really did create a really awesome world. Um, and when we don't try to mess with that too much with science, you know, I just, I believe that we're way better off. So I've been, um, really excited about finding more and more about using herbs, um, medicinally and for our health. So, the really cool thing about the nettle leaves is when it's dried is it's 40% protein, which is really high. Um, so a lot of people, you can give it to cows in your in feed, which we raise grass-fed beef cattle. So that's really cool. And then a lot of people also um, will use it is in a powdered form, and they'll put it in with their chicken feed. And it will help them lay more eggs, which is really cool, too. And then you can also use the leaves um, as a garden mulch um, and as fertilizer. So you can put that in with your compost or just mulch the top of your soil with singing nettle leaves. And as it breaks down, it'll put all that really good stuff into your soil. So harvesting nettle leaves as part of our foraging is in the spring is one of the best times to harvest your singing nettle leaves. Um, you want to do it primarily before they go to seed, which is what they do later um, in the year. So, of course, you're going to want to wear gloves because hence the name stinging nettles. Um, so when you're using gloves to harvest them, you know, make sure you have a good pair of gloves on and, you know, long pants, you know, that kind of a thing. So your skin's not exposed and you'll want to pick them when they're young. So you want to harvest the leaves um, primarily. And there's a couple different ways um, that you can make nettle tea. Um, if you have the young leaves ready and available, you can just pour, um, rinse them and make sure anytime that you're harvesting um while doing wild foraging and you're harvesting a thing is make sure that it's in an area that's not by a roadway or that's not been sprayed with chemicals. So this is very key. Um, our singing nettles grow all over our property. So I have this readily huge crop that I had no idea about. So um, go out and pick them. And then when you bring them in, rinse them off and then um, spread them out to, to dry. Um, you can use them on the um, herb, herb setting of your dehydrator. 
you can dry them that way. Um, you can hang them up and dry them just like you would any herbs in a place that's, um, you know, nice and dry and warm. Um, up by a fireplace or I know another method um, other people use is they put them in an old pillowcase and hang them up to dry and then they just check them and once they're good and crunchy that's how you know your herbs are dry and they're brittle and um, flake apart and kind of grind them up between your fingers um, then you know that they're ready to dry and the interesting thing about the stinging nettles is once they're dried or cooked then they don't sting you anymore um, so don't be worried about that so to make your tea, which is what I, how I've been using the stinging nettles is in a tea is, um, and I also have um, a blog post on melissaknorris.com under the blog heading, um, and I'll link to it in the show notes too, so that you can actually get, see the pictures and how you, how you make tea. There's a couple different versions. Um, one is with the fresh needles, fresh nettles is put them in your cup and pour boiling water over top of them and you can let them seep overnight. Um, in the refrigerator and then drain it. And then you have a nettle actually infusion is what that's called of nettle water. Or you can do, um, which for preserving to use this all year long is what you'll need to do is get some dried nettle leaves. So you can dry them yourself um, or you can order them, which is what I did actually because ours weren't ready yet. I'd found out about it too late. I plan on harvesting and putting up a big supply of dried nettle leaves this year to use as tea all year long for myself. But um you can also order it and I'll have it in the show notes from, um, we have an affiliate mountain rose herbs. Um, they're out of Oregon and they do all organic, um, great high quality herbs, um, for really good prices as well. So I'll put a link to that in there and that's where I got my first batch. Um, if you're using the dried leaves, you just want to boil your water and, and a little, um, tea, um, strainer. You're going to put about, I usually put about a, a uh, about two teaspoons or about three quarters of a tablespoon in mine, pour your boiling water over it and let it sit for 10 to 15 minutes um, and then drink it. And you can drink um, multiple cups a day. You can do one cup a day. A lot of people like to drink one cup in the morning because it does help with the water retention um, and that kind of a thing, especially during allergy season. But it's just really good for you um, throughout the whole year just because of all of the vitamins in it, not to mention the medicinal properties that it also possesses. So, I let mine usually seep for about 15 minutes um, and I don't put anything in it, you know, no sweeteners, no other flavorings. Um, and it's kind of, it doesn't have a strong flavor. It's kind of just like a, a green tea flavor. And the longer you let it seep, like, you know, one time I walked away and forgot it and been like 25 minutes, the flavor gets stronger and it turns a, um, from a yellow to a dark green color the longer that it's um, been allowed to seep. Um, but it's, it's a, not a bad flavor at all. It's fairly pleasant. It's really easy to drink. Um, and it just kind of tastes like a little bit of green tea. And I don't want to say grassy because I know that's going to sound gross to some people. It doesn't really taste grassy. So when you're first starting, I would just suggest that you let it seep for 10 minutes um, until you kind of see how strong, you know, how you like the flavor, that kind of thing. But it's not like a strong, overwhelming flavor at all. Um, I, I really enjoy it. And, and then we'll be talking about the other two herbs that I've, I've recently discovered um, on some future shows too. So I just wanted to let you know for the Natural Living Summit, um, which is where I first heard the article that turned me on to the stinging nettles, um, that that starts March 24th, 2014 on a Monday. And how it works is for um, each day that it runs, you get to listen to so many of the talks and the presentations for free. And this is online. So you'll be doing this online. And then at the end of it, 
Um, you have the option to buy all of the whole presentation or just certain presenters, however you want to do that, if there's just some that you want to keep or you missed or whatever, because um, each day is different ones for free. So you can listen to the whole thing for free or you can purchase it. Um, and I'm a, an affiliate with them and I'll have links in the show notes. And I just want to let you know that, um, you know, I never recommend anything um to my listeners, unless it's something that I truly believe that will benefit you and that I have um, personally been using or a part of. So I just want to let you know that. And I want to thank you um, if you do purchase through the affiliate link, um, which helps me with the cost of my website and keeping um, this podcast free. So I totally appreciate that. Um, And I will always let you know when I'm an affiliate for something. Um, I never want to you know, break trust or anything like that. So, and I'm always proud of the things I'm affiliates with. So, um, thank you for that. And I also wanted to tell you another cool thing I was found out about the nettle leaf, um, is the fibers in it are really strong in the stems and they used to use even up until I believe it was world war one, they used to use the fibers and they would make linen out of it. They would weave it into linen. So I thought that was really cool. Um, so I'll encourage you to get out and do some spring foraging of morels and stinging nettles. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to Pioneering Today with Melissa K. Norris. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes and make sure to head over to melissaknorris.com to subscribe for free modern homesteading updates to help you live the simpler life.